so the story of God saving the world doesn't begin in the New Testament. The story, the story of a baby coming into the world doesn't begin with, with even Mary and Joseph. There's, there's more to this powerful story when the church cries out, Come Lord Jesus, when, 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 when it's Christmas time and we're like, Come baby Jesus, there's more to the story before that. I invite you to turn in the scriptures with me this morning as we, uh, as we hear some of the story before that. It's uh, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. This is, uh, this is, one, of the, this is one of the annual church words to be spoken and by that i mean in uh in the in the larger church uh on the three-year cycle year a year b and year c of churches readings that a lot of denominations follow a lot of uh, a lot of local churches follow this this word is spoken on the second sunday of advent every year and it goes like this In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the desert of Judea, announcing, change your hearts and lives. If you're following along in a Bible you brought, it uh, it, it might not say change, it might say the word repent. Both words are exactly the same. They're both English attempts to translate a Greek word, metanoia. It's uh, one of the four and a half Greek words I know, everybody, yeah, um, but, it, but it is, and, and it, means, it means literally like change, turn around, and so repent, that, that captures it, and, and, uh, and, and change, it captures it, and John's message is change your hearts and lives, here comes the kingdom of heaven, and then Matthew says, John, he was the one of whom Isaiah the prophet spoke. When Isaiah said, the voice of one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. And then Matthew goes one step further for now to say, John, and he, 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 you know, it's, it's, in the, it's rare in the scriptures that they tell you what they're wearing, right? It's rare in the scripture. And, and, and so when they do, you pay attention. It says, John wore clothes made of camel's hair, hopefully washed, because camel's don't make the list of, wow, okay. <laughs> With a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts, which are exactly what you think they are, bugs, and wild honey. This, this is the word of God for we the people of God, and we say together, thanks, thanks be to God. John the Baptist appears on this Sunday every year which is another way of saying you can't tell the story of Christmas without John the Baptist. Really? I mean, like, I get Mary and I get Joseph. I mean, and you can't do it without the shepherds and the angels and the heavenly chorus, you know? And I mean, even the wise men, which technically actually happens all after Christmas, like maybe years after Christmas. But I mean, you know, I mean, but who's keeping up with details? We're in church, right? But the church says, you can't tell the story of Christmas without John the Baptist. What do we know about John the Baptist? All right, here's a quick list. If you're, uh, if you're making notes, if you, uh, you want to just check them off mentally, I knew that, I didn't know that, I knew that, I didn't know that. Here we go. John the Baptist, uh, in Luke 1, we're told, John as a child, is born to Zechariah, who was a temple priest, and Elizabeth. They were both 
advanced in years, right? She wasn't supposed to have children, and they were advanced in years, and yet they have a child. And, and, and we're told that Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, is related to Mary. So, so I often refer to John the Baptist and Jesus as cousins, because they were, they were related like, like cousins. But what's interesting is Luke tells that version of the story, but Matthew makes no mention of it. Matthew never says they were cousins. Matthew make, makes, makes no connection between Jesus and John the Baptist that way. A, I mean, two explanations. Matthew didn't know it, which is possible, right? Because it wasn't in Mark's gospel, which was the first of those, of those first three. And so maybe Matthew didn't know it. Or maybe he did and just didn't care. I mean, it's possible. It's possible that he just... Like, that was a piece of information he did, because unlike me, he doesn't have to say everything that comes into his mind on a Sunday morning. Okay, move on, <clears throat> move on. Two, in Mark 2, we learn that, like Jesus, John the Baptist was actually a Jewish rabbi. He, he, he was a teacher, he was known as a teacher, and he had disciples that followed him. That's what it says in, in Mark 2. Three, the appearance and what he wears here, this garment of animal hair and a leather belt, it actually perfectly matches the description of the prophet Elijah who lived 800 years earlier. This is Matthew's point, is that he sounds like Elijah and he look like, looks like Elijah. This is a big deal. Pay attention. And then later in his life, well, technically at the end of his life, Mark 6 points out the way that John the Baptist was killed. He was actually martyred for his beliefs, and not only his beliefs, but some of his actions and his words. He was killed by Herod. Herod was the uh, tetrarch, which is another word for like governor. He was the governor of the region of Galilee, which is the region that also Jesus was very uh, active in for most of his adult ministry, uh, including a few trips down to Jerusalem. And, uh, and John the Baptist used to tell uh, Herod or talk about Herod and a number of the things that Herod did in ways that Herod didn't like. Like, uh, you are a bad person and you shouldn't... Um, sleep with this person and do this thing and do that thing and do this thing and that, you know, and so, and uh, Herod didn't like that. And eventually Herod, um, it caught up with John the Baptist and Herod had John killed. And then, and one, one more note, uh, interestingly, John the Baptist was, uh, was at the origins of a religious group that would be talked about later on in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 18, it says there was a group of Christians and they came upon another group of believers and they asked them, have you been baptized? And that group of believers, one of them guy in particular said, yes, I've been baptized in John's baptism. And they were like, okay, well, what about Jesus? And the, and the group was like, who? Now, it didn't say that they worshiped John the Baptist as like a god, but it does say that the limit of their understanding ended with John the Baptist. And then, and and they're like, well, John the Baptist is one guy, but we need to tell you about the other guy, the guy that John the Baptist was setting us all up for, which is really Matthew's point in the way he shaped this story. Matthew wants us to understand that John the Baptist is the one who is going to tell us about the one. Isaiah says, there is one who will come crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way to the Lord. 
And, and Malachi, the last of the Old Testament books, the last of the Old Testament prophets, probably ended about 400 years or more before Jesus. And there's this period where there were no, no prophets that at least were included in the Bible. There were no prophets that were speaking on behalf of God. If there were prophets, they probably weren't speaking on behalf of God. They were probably speaking on behalf of their pocketbooks or something like that. But Malachi is the last one. And in Malachi 3 and in Malachi 4... It says there will be a messenger that will come and the message will be get ready. Who does that sound like? It's John the Baptist. But but here's the thing. I think God still works like this. I, I think I think what God is doing with John the Baptist is also what God is still doing with Scott. I think it's probably what he's doing with you too. See, the God, the, the God who would send messengers ahead, the God who, who sends messages back then is, well, he's still the God on the throne now. God worked this way then, and God still works that way. And that way, this idea, this concept is, God prepares the way for what is to come. This, this makes me think, if, if you'll allow me about two minutes, this makes me think of a massive understanding of what it means to be a Christian, and it's the idea of grace. We, we sing about amazing grace. We sing about amazing grace. And we're oftentimes singing about that moment of salvation. Amazing grace. You know, how sweet the sound. I, you know, I, was, I was once lost, and now I'm found this moment of salvation, right? And that's, that's the real grace. But, but to take it further, there is a grace that goes beyond that. It's the grace of, I've been saved, but now God wants me to be better. Because it's not, it's not enough to be saved. God wants us to be holy, right? In the church, we call this, it's a fancy term, but it's, it's an awesome term. It's the term sanctification from the latin root word sanctus for holy god wants us to be holy and there's a grace following our being saved that goes on to make us holy but hang with me there's a grace before all of that in the methodist church and and out and broadly into the world of uh, of christianity there's another kind of grace it's it's provenient grace wesley called it john wesley the founder of methodism see because he was english from like 300 something years ago and he used the english words from like 300 years ago and there was an english word and it was provenient and all it meant was the grace that goes before or put another way the grace before we're aware of it now now let me wrap up my two-minute talk on grace to answer the question you're asking right now. So what? The fact that there is a grace that goes before we're saved is fundamental. And here's why. Because if there wasn't, and, 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 and me getting saved, or put another way, me deciding yes for Jesus, if, if, if that's all there was, then I can look back on that moment and say, Phew, I did really good that day. I mean, I can look back on it and say, "Woo, I got it right that day. Or aren't I good? Is that good grammar? Aren't, I'm not sure if that's good grammar. Aren't I good for choosing Jesus? Did I get that right? Okay, yeah, we'll say I did. 
But, but, but here's the thing. If me, if me saying yes to Jesus is all about me, there's something not right there. See, God is working in my life before I'm even aware of it to prompt me that I might choose. I mean, I still, I mean, God didn't take away my freedom. I still have to choose, but God's at work before I'm even aware of it. And I believe John the Baptist is like that. The Bible says there is one to come, but before that, God is going to send one to get you ready. Now, here's the part that I haven't figured out how to explain or convey. So, so I got no props this morning, and I got no stories that make you look at each other and say, Julie is right, he is a complete idiot, okay? I don't, I don't have any of those stories. I don't. So all I, can say is, all I can say is what I've experienced in my own life, and, and, and maybe it'll connect with you. In my life, repeatedly, when I have a moment of clarity, you with me? Right here. When I have a moment of clarity, every time I realize that that moment was preceded by a, oh yeah, that's what that conversation two weeks ago meant. Every moment, every, every time I've ever known I need to go and do this or I need to stop doing this or this is the right thing to say or I need to not say this or, or this is where we need to move or this is what I need to go do. Every moment like that in my life, and, and don't get me wrong, I mean, it, it's not like it's every day that God just opens up and says, Scott, do this. But when it happens, when it happens, and maybe it's true for you too, I think it is. When it happens, every time I can look back and realize, oh, that's what that email was about. Or, oh, I read that this morning. Or, or oh, they just said that exact same word to me and I didn't get it then, but now I get it. John the Baptist is the messenger getting us ready and 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 i don't know how to say and explain it other than to say in my life god still works that way god's still sending the messenger or the message ahead of time to prepare me for what i'm going to need to know for what i'm going to need to be ready for so then in the case of john the baptist what was his message and so I'll, I'll finish reading the passage from Matthew, and I, and I invite you to listen in. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty stark. It says, People from Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and all around the Jordan River came to him, John, and they confessed their sins. He baptized them in the Jordan River. Many, all right, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that there were various political parties in the Jewish religion of the time. It says, Many Pharisees and Sadducees, that's two different of the parties, came to be baptized by John. He said to them, and, um, and John, shall we say, uh, John still had some edges. And so he opens up his message this way. You children of snakes. 
That's, uh, it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be an interesting time together when I lead with you children of snakes, right? <clears throat> Who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Almost, almost like John the Baptist isn't even all that excited that they're there. Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. He's saying right here, don't pull out the birth certificate and think that's going to get you anything. And don't, and don't pull out the driver's license or your government-issued federal ID, right? Don't pull that out and think that, that anybody cares about what your last name is or who your father is. And the DNA test, it doesn't matter. Because he, because he says this, I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. At this point, the crowd is not sure what to do with John the Baptist. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. I baptize with water those of you who have changed your hearts and lives. But the one who is coming after me is stronger than I am. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husk is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn, but he will burn the husk with a fire that can't be put out. (laughs) This, This is the word of John, and I'm not sure anybody says, Thanks be to God for hearing it. Because it's stark. But John's message is this. Conduct and character have consequences. Conduct and character have consequences. When it, when it comes to this process of salvation... It's not enough. Listen, he says this. He says, I I know your family tree. I know the fact that you're in already. Right? And if he were talking to Christians, wouldn't he say, I understand you've been baptized, and I understand what happened on that youth retreat. I understand what happened in that church when you were growing up. I understand what happened just the other day when you came down and knelt at the altar and prayed the prayer. But I'm telling you, past that, conduct and character have consequences. Conduct and character have consequences. And God is keeping up. God's paying attention to the tree that's planted here producing fruit and to the tree that's beside it that is dead for all intents and purposes. And one of those two trees is going to get cut down and thrown into a fiery furnace. And the other is on display to glorify God. And he asks, Which one are you? Conduct and character have consequences. And and for the church, and for the church, you can't tell the story of Jesus without John the Baptist, a messenger, with this message. I want the baby to come. I I can't wait 
for Christmas. But we got to go through John the Baptist to get there. Let's pray. Gracious God, change our hearts, turn us back to you. Give us the courage to commit ourselves to to living open to the messengers you are putting in our lives. Give us the courage to, to, with our ears and our hearts, listen for the message that you are giving us. There is a thing you are doing even now in my life. And you're sending messages preparing me for it. And if John the Baptist is any example, Lord, I I might not recognize or be sure what to do with the messenger that brings it. Lord, teach me that my conduct and my character has consequences. And prepare my heart for Christmas. We pray in the name of the one who loves us so. Amen.